You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to midweek episode number 29. Hi guys. You talked over me. Oh, that's okay. That's Jerry. You did it again. And I'm (laughs) trying. Dang it. Tonight's episode, we have famed Bigfoot investigator. Steve Coles. Yeah. You've seen him on all the popular TV shows, and plus he's got his own uh, internet television show, and we'll tell you about all that when we get into the interview. But here, here's the deal. So we normally do a little short story beforehand, and part of what Steve is going to talk about is if you're a Bigfoot enthusiast, you probably already know this. If you're not a Bigfoot enthusiast, this may be new to you, and that's why we're going to kind of cover a little bit about what he's going to talk about, at least in part of the interview so you at least have a clue what he's talking about when mm-hmm. we get to that part. Tracy, have you ever heard of the Bluff Creek Massacre? No. I uh, figured it so. I was banking on it. If you'd have said yes, I'd have been screwed on which way to go. <laughs> Anyways. Glad I couldn't let you down. <laughs> when it comes to the Bluff Creek Massacre, we will say that Steve Coles definitely has a difference of opinion than another big-time Bigfoot investigator out there by the name of M.K. Davis. Mm-hmm. Steve has made it very clear on several Facebook posts, because we're Facebook friends, that he does not agree with M.K., and he thinks this is a bunch of BS, and he's very adamant that this did not happen. And I'm going to go on record here to say, I don't believe this happened either. Okay. But, but we still got to just tell it so you'll know what it's referring to. So Steve's going to talk about it a little later in detail. So here's... Without us going into tons of details about the story, we're just going to gloss over it so you know, and we'll let Steve do most of the talking. So this is one of those topics, like I said, that if you're a Bigfoot enthusiast, you already know. If you're not, we're going to at least give you a little bit of info so you're not going to be lost when this interview comes up. So most of you are familiar with the infamous Patterson-Gimlin film with the Bigfoot walking in front um, of the camera in 1967. Well, the Bluff Creek Massacre has to do with that film. The story is that so much more went on that day than than the quick glimpse of Patty as Bigfoot is is known in that thing. Because what you see in the video, there's about three minutes worth of video, I think, total. But all we really see on TV is the one where there's like the log and then the Bigfoot walks, looks, Mm -hmm. and then goes on. That's all most people know about. Well, in 2009, M.K. Davis and David Pilates, who we all know from the Missing 411 stuff, Uh They kind of get together, and they're doing some some evaluation of this film. And the story was that on, on that day, which was, I think, October 20th, 1967, that several Bigfoot were actually shot and killed. And what you saw was a part of one of the Bigfoot as it was leaving. Mm-hmm. And even there's even parts where they say you, if you look close enough, you can see it looks like it's been shot in the leg and all this stuff. So that's what it all boils down to. They're saying that there was this huge cover-up 
and uh, to make it look like that short little clip that we've seen is all that really happened. So M.K. Davis and Pilates did some investigating on the uh, Gimlin film, the Patterson Gimlin film, and they did some analysis on it. Part of this analysis was they added some colorization to it to make some stuff stand out red, which made uh, one of the people in the video look like that they had blood on their hands. In reality, that's not what it is. Uh, and that's where all this goes back and forth is, is did they do stuff to the film to make it look like it fit their narrative? Okay. Mm-hmm. The cl- they claim that if you look at the video that you can see blood and there's also bodies of some Bigfoot creatures laying like piled up, like there's two or three of them piled up next to like the log. Mm-hmm. And they, they're saying if you look close enough, you can see that. They're also saying that there's a much larger video out there that shows all these horrible crimes being committed against Bigfoot, but you don't see any of it. And they've never produced the footage. So as far as most people are concerned, that footage doesn't Doesn't exist exist. and they're just making it up. So anyway, like I said, we we didn't get into real deep into it, but you know, if you listen to MK Davis, there was another guy out there and they were bringing, uh, they brought dogs and hunting rifles and all this stuff. And you can see them in the video, but we don't see any of that. So that's hmm. just that's kind of where it's at. So Steve, Steve being uh, a, a Patterson and, and Gimlin, uh, will say he's just an admirer of all that. Yes, he just really takes offense to M.K. Davis. Now this stuff took place back in, like I said, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and it all kind of got squashed back then, supposedly. And now all of a sudden, here in the last six months or so, it's being brought back up, like it's now it's a story again. And that's that's what's aggravating Steve is yeah. why is this coming back up? We squashed all those rumors, you know, back in two thousand and nine. Yeah, a long time ago. And now right? we're a decade later, here we are messing with this crap again. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, that's really all we were gonna do tonight is just introduce that and okay. uh, let's go ahead and listen to Steve. Man oh man, guys, are y'all in for a good one tonight? I have on the phone with me the Squatch Detective himself, Mr. Steve Coles. Steve, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, this show, Steve, I've made it clear, abundantly clear, I'm not the biggest cryptid guy in the world. So we don't cover a ton of cryptid stories on the show. We have covered some of the big ones. Uh, Usually it involves a Bigfoot-type creature. And if anybody is is a fan or a Bigfoot enthusiast out there, they probably know exactly who you are. Obviously, you started the Squash Detective Radio back in 2006. You've been a private investigator first and then investigating Bigfoot since 1999, correct? That is correct. And you've been on the History Channel, the Travel Channel, Destination America, and of course you've got SquatchDetective.com where you have Squatch Detective TV. And so, I mean, you are consumed by all things Bigfoot, I would say. <laughs> yeah, a, uh, a thing that a lot of people don't know is I was also uh, headed up a uh, expedition to Loch Ness that aired on the Nat Geo Channel. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, I didn't know that. I did step out of my realm a little bit and was asked to uh, lead up a team to Loch Ness, and that was an awesome experience going over to the UK and doing all that. Oh, that aired back in 2011, but it was a great opportunity, and actually now I'm uh, for the UK, I'm, I'm shooting a, uh, a COVID-19 documentary, not on anything cryptid, but just the effects of you know, how somebody from upstate New York is affected by the coronavirus. That's going to be interesting, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just like a, a, almost like a video diary. Like, what's different? What, you know, how am I affected? I've been blessed not to be affected by the virus itself, 
all that much. My daughter did contract it. She did recover from it because she works as a uh, technician in uh, an emergency room. But she uh, she bounced back from that pretty quick and is back to work and back on the job. But that's the only real effect the virus has had on myself because there's so where I live, there's so many few cases of that in comparison to the population. Whereas New York City is horrible or You're was right. horrible, it's starting to trend downward. Thank God, right now. So tell me about how someone who is a private investigator turns into a Bigfoot investigator. Well, the, the jump for me wasn't really that big. You know, I, of course, being an investigator, I, I want to know. Uh, you know, I, I want to know. I, a friend of mine gave me this book in 98, or told me the title of this book, so I bought it, about uh, Bigfoot sightings in upstate New York and in eastern, uh, western Vermont, and a little bit to the south of me down in, the, in Columbia County region. So I took that, and I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. So after a while, I, go, I got to myself thinking, I wonder if this is all baloney or not. So I went out and I started researching more, basically doing a follow-up investigation using the book as a guide. And what I began to do was start putting myself out there, started getting people coming forward to tell me about their experiences. And being, I'm a trained forensic interviewer. I've taken the same classes that some of the FBI has taken and you know, police agencies have taken when it comes to interrogation and interview models. And, you know, it's based on responses to certain questions. It's based on neurolinguistics. And, of course, I had to take some of that and kind of change it up a little bit for this particular mystery because, it, you know, the, the actual guilt part of it isn't as great as it. Like, if somebody commits a robbery, they have a lot more guilt than somebody that does a Bigfoot hoax. So you have to kind of gauge what they say. And so it's a game of cat and mouse sometimes. That makes sense. And what I found was is that, that people were telling the truth. I mean, I remember the, the breakaway one was this guy I interviewed, I think it was 2003 or 2004, who had this, this sighting on his property and, and this audible encounter and found tracks. And the guy was a former Marine who was in Vietnam, was a truck driver and an outdoorsman, lived up there for 15 years where he was, never heard, never experienced anything like that before. When he's telling me this story, I can see jugular vein distension, I can see him getting short of breath, and I can see his hair standing up on his arm, giving him goosebumps as he's repeating this story. These are all physiological things you cannot fake. He was telling me something that he believed very well in. At that point, I began to think, hmm, there is something to this. So out of all these years... And I know you've you've found prints and and made uh, plaster casts and all that stuff. What kind of actual experiences have you had with run-ins or have you had any actual run-ins? Well, I've had two really good sightings with my naked eye. I have had some pretty close encounters, I believe. Uh, One in Arizona where I, I believe one was like 15 feet behind me. I was getting, getting some equipment out of a truck, and, it, and because I startled it, it ran, and you could hear it run boom, 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 in a bipedal fashion. And uh, the next day we go, and there, there actually was a fence in the, the next property over that had been knocked down that wasn't knocked down the night before. But my, my two sightings in, uh, I want to say, 2013 and uh, 2012, respectively. In 2012, I saw one standing near a utility pole watching our campfire as I went out to my car to retrieve some batteries. I had like a 40-second, you know, basically my light on the the, the creature uh, a 40 second kind of like stared out until i just kind of shook the light a little bit and just turned and walked into the into the woods and the funny thing was is that people in my camp i immediately called one of my teams out 
And then the, the base camp started reporting that they had heard a bunch of commotion now going to the southwest side of the camp, which is where the creature had walked off into the woods at. The other sighting was in uh, 2013 when I had caught a glimpse of a five-and-a-half-foot juvenile you know, in the same general vicinity. I was using the same campsite. We were actually shooting the Nat Geo uh, Paranatural, which aired in Australia and UK, and it was repackaged for Destination America as Monsters and Mysteries Unsolved. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, we were actually taping that uh, earlier in the day. We, we had done our interviews. We had just come in that day. We were all tired, so they just wanted to do baseline interviews with us. We'll catch you tomorrow morning. Okay, great. Off they went. We kind of hung out for a few more hours, went to sleep, and about one day in the morning, I needed to you know use a tree, so I got out of my tent. And I must, something must have been watching us. They must have been standing there watching the campsite, you know, just kind of pondering if somebody was there. We had one person that was snoring particularly, so I'm pretty sure that they knew people were in the camp. And as I walked out, I, I, t- I turned to the, to the left to look you know, towards the road, and there's the five-and-a-half-foot one. Very clear in this one. I mean, I could see the long reddish-brown hair. It was long. Couldn't really pick up the face of it. But, man, it booked off. And, and my reaction was, nah, it can't be. Just, just can't be. Used, used to tree Steve <laughs> and I went back to bed but the next time I, I got up like at four in the morning and that time I took a flashlight with me just in case just in case <laughs> you know what's funny you mentioned that the one near encounter that you had in Arizona because when people think Bigfoot Arizona is not usually the case that pops up in their head they always think Washington or California or someplace you know heavily wooded when I think Arizona you know and like I said I'm not as familiar with Arizona so I could be completely wrong I think desert well, you, you would, but uh, surrounded by some of the deserts or some mountain mountain regions, you have the Chuskas, the Lukachukais, and the uh, Carrizo mountain ranges. And this one was uh, probably about a couple of miles off the Carrizo uh, mountain range. And I'll tell you, I've been up in the Lukachukais in, in Arizona, and it is... All forest, so there's bear. It was kind of cool because we actually found some bear track on a dirt road, and next to the bear was little bear prints. So we had a mama and a baby walking along the trail at some point in time, very close to our base camp. So that night we had to post watch just in case they decided to stumble on into the base camp. Yeah, it, there's a lot of intrinsic danger to some of these missions depending on where you go. But yeah, it, it's uh, you would not think, but there's a lot of scrub brush. And uh, not being too far from the mountain range, it's my belief that these creatures were up in the mountains and then at nighttime under the cover of darkness, they'll come down to get some water to, you know, you know, there was a lot of water. There was actually in that area, there was also a lot of lowland where something could walk low and not be seen on the level ground, like little canyons or valleys, especially where there's water. I think they they will use that for cover as well. Yeah, I'll just never never forget. This. I mean, it was it was standing in a tree line, and there was some trees in that particular area. Tree, you know, there's like bunches of trees here, there, everywhere, and then in between there's like scrub brush. You know, very very interesting interesting area. Probably one of my favorite places to go. Uh, one of the few places. One of our uh, one of my hosts down there was uh, a gentleman. One of the uh, Navajo who they actually call themselves. Didn't, the Diné elders, uh, he used to be a geologist. And one day he were out there and I found a, um, a halyard, a broken halyard tip from the Spanish conquistadors because having lack of rain in all those areas, you know, metal doesn't corrode as fast or disappear as fast as a lot of other things. So here I have this little halyard tip. And a little while later he comes over to me, he hands me this rock, hey, look at that. And I look at it and there is this like purplish crystal in the middle of it, you know, like very 
purple, you know, like here's this rock, but in the middle is this nice, beautiful purple crystal. He goes, you know what that is? I go, no, he goes, that's uranium. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't take that on the plane, can I? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Set off all kinds of radiological alarms. and. Let's say that you came to, I'm in Kentucky. Let's say sure. you just come to Kentucky. You're not following up on any sightings. You're just going to go find a place to investigate. What are you looking for as, give me the, the perfect background that a Bigfoot or Bigfoot type creature would use as a habitat. What would be in that forest or area? to make it prime Bigfoot area. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I have investigated in Kentucky before, down in the Howe's Cave area. Obviously, you're looking for uh, an area where they can habitate and not be bothered. You're looking for food source, water source, stuff like that. So you're looking for, for streams and, and brooks and, and little ponds and lakes, obviously. But I, I believe they stick to ponds and streams more often than, than not because lakes tend to attract you know, people. And they really, their natural inhibitions, they don't want to deal with people a lot of times. So that's why in a lot of sightings, you'll see them turn and walk away, or they're just watching, and then when they get noticed, they kind of, you know, scoot out off. You know, you got to think of, of Sasquatch as a primate. They're forward thinking themselves. So that becomes very, very important, and a, and a good reason why they remain so elusive. Because I've had people say, well, I'm a hunter, and... I've hunted these things for years, hunted, you know, stuff for years, and I've never seen anything, or I, I you know, and then I turn around to them, well, that's, you know, why haven't hunters ever caught one? Because they're not hunting a primate. What hunters primarily hunt is fowl, you know, birds, avians, ungulates, deer, moose, elk, sheep, Ursus, bears, and in some cases, uh, other critters like rabbits and, and marmosets and stuff like that. Marmosets. Where the hell did I come with that one? Um, <laughs> but yeah. we're well, in Australia. Sorry, my brain must be firing on another cylinder today. But but in real in reality, it's like you've never hunted a primate. Primates are completely on a different scale. We're primates. Homo sapiens are primates. So yeah, they have big brains like we do. I mean, if you think about it, a chimpanzee has like ninety four point six percent of our DNA. I feel that this thing may have a little more than that. So even even so, even if it has the same, you're looking at something that can rationalize, problem solve, and abstract thing. So that makes sense. Now, I've noticed that I've seen some comments of you uh, that say Bigfoot is flesh and blood, which brings Absolutely. me to an interesting story. Yep. At Scarefest, we talked out back, and I made the mistake, and I've mentioned this on the show jokingly several times, I made the mistake of saying, hey, Steve, what do you think about the theory that Bigfoot could be an alien? To which <laughs> you gave me a very enthusiastic, heartfelt lecture. <laughs> and I wanted you to share that with the people today sure. about your thoughts on when people say, hey, what is if Bigfoot is, is an alien type creature from another dimension, what is your answer to that? Well, let's use some common sense. If you're an alien... Are you going to go to another planet naked? No, you're not. Why would you show up naked to this planet when it has things like fleas, ticks, chiggers, other insects, mosquitoes, black flies, thorns, a lot of scrub brush, you know, fauna, poison ivy, poison oak, stuff like that, stuff that, that can irritate, irritants. Why would you not wear some protective clothing? Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Common sense. Why, why, why aren't there any tools? 
you know, you, you don't have a radio, you don't have, um, and in the seventies, there was a lot of sightings with cattle and UFOs. So I don't buy this cattle mutilation mystery. Now you never heard the theory presented by people that were, you know, that, that maybe cattle were, were aliens, only Bigfoot. It would only make a lot of sense that an aliens are studying, not just us, because that would be anthropocentric of us to believe that we're the only thing of interest on this planet. Obviously, we, we probably are the main event, but there are a lot of other things, too. And when, when explorers go to different areas, in fact, I just watched a documentary on these people in New Guinea that had found this tribe back in the 30s. And the one guy was a botanist. He didn't care about the tribe. He, you know, he had to know a little bit about them to interact with them. But his main purpose of there was to look at the fauna of, of the, the area, not the people. So for us to think that aliens are specifically here for us is anthropocentric. So we have to acknowledge that if they've looked at cows in the 70s, it would make a lot of sense why they may be looking at Bigfoot now. Bigfoot yesterday, Bigfoot a decade ago, the same way that allegedly they're abducting us. So we have to look at all of that in, in context. And frankly, uh, I have a beautiful conspiracy for you. If Bigfoot's an alien, then the cows must be aliens too. And just think, we've been drinking their milk all these years. <laughs> well, I haven't. <laughs> I'm not a milk drinker. It just it grosses me out to even think about the fact that we're going to take the milk from an animal and just drink it. We're the only species that does that. Jerry, have you had ice cream? Well, okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> let me re I gotcha. Right, stuff made with dairy I can get by with. Just drinking it plain, I can't. So, well, you know, so, uh, so okay, Steve, so I like to ask all, all of my uh, Bigfoot experts this. To the people out there that say, okay, then why don't we ever find any bones or remains of Bigfoot? You had a great answer for that as well. Well, peace of all, there are, there are no Bigfoot so-called experts. Uh, I just want to put that out. I mean, to the lay person, yeah, we, you know, people that do research can be considered experts, but people that understand expert is just a frame of reference. So, why, well, like, for example, and I, I have to put that out there because it's a big, it's a big thing in the Bigfoot community. Like, oh, somebody called him a Bigfoot expert. <laughs> well, well, uh, I don't know, but when my toilet breaks, I call an expert. It's called the plumber. Doesn't mean he's an expert amongst his peers only amongst the people that are not in the know of how to fix something or do something. Fair enough. So well, let me put that out. But why don't they find bones very easy? Because they don't bury their dead. A lot of people say, well, you know, maybe they bury their dead. Well, I, I look at it from the aspect of if they buried their dead, we'd be finding their bones. We would be digging up, you know, plots for, for housing and oh, what's these bones? Bone, you know, they're when they're buried. They're not when they're out on, on the forest ground. And usually within a couple of weeks, the bones are scattered. And within a year or so, there's just fragments left. And you go three, four years, there's even less. And if you think about it, one of the uh, animals thought to be a, a, this, uh, a possible relative of the Sasquatch is something called the Gigantopithecus blacky. Believe it or not, the only thing that proves the existence of these creatures in study is a, a couple of mandibles and a handful of teeth. They've never found a giganto femur, vertebrae, rib, skull, anything like that. You got to understand that that you know from about 100,000, 150,000 years ago, 
there are a lot of scavenger critters out there that will just, you know, and you look at the animals that will eat bone, raccoons, bear, hog, coyotes, wolf. And why do they do that? Because bones carry a very essential nutrient to all animals called calcium. So that's why these things disappear, not just the flesh. I mean, within a week or two, usually skeletons are picked clean of all their flesh by, by again, varmints, you know, uh, but also by insects. Nature has a great sanitation system. Let's say that makes sense. All right, so this is the part of the show I've been waiting for. Before you came on, we actually uh, did a small story on what the Bluff Creek Massacre was, the theory of the Bluff Creek Massacre. Now, I made it clear that I don't believe in that at all, but it was out there. And uh, Mm -hmm. back in 2009, a gentleman by the name of M.K. Davis kind of put this out there, and it all goes back to the Patterson-Gimlin film, obviously. And um, he says that, you know, there was another longer edition of this film that was found, and it shows basically them massacring a family of Bigfoot. Like I said, we got into detail beforehand, so I won't get into it here now. But you are 100%, as you say on your page, you stand with Bob, Bob Gamlin, which I had a pleasure to meet last year. Great guy. So MK Davis is basically coming out, and, and he's rehashing all this stuff again now that Patterson and Gimlin and some other people basically just killed all these Bigfoot. And then the only clip that you see is the one that's predominantly out there that, you know, so there was more to it than that. You don't believe that for a second. Tell me your thoughts on all this. Okay. Well, in uh, this film, we actually started getting bounced around in 2008, not 2009. Okay. Um, It started at, I believe the Ohio Bigfoot conference when NK was, was out there and he had talked to one of my colleagues, and it started to spread like wildfire a bit. But it's funny how when it first started, there was nothing about this additional footage. It was only about MK's interpretation, and not to mention on a color-corrected and probably overcorrected piece of film of this pond. And instead of it being, uh, you know, brownish. It was reddish brown. Well, that can easily happen if you add a red filter to enhance photography, which some people do. They, they add shades of red and blue and green. And, of course, when you add the red filter, it looks red or rust because brown and red, you get this rust colored. So then intrinsically, there is a problem developing. A, and then he talks about the herniation of the creature walking. And he, he enhanced his photo and or enhance this gif to make it look like it got shot but that's not what you see in the film so that's disingenuous meldrum years ago dr jeff meldrum when he reviewed anthropologist at idaho state university when he reviewed the film as did uh, at one time uh, dr grover Krantz, meldrum noticed a herniation in the leg which when you step down creates a little bulge now i have a slight herniation in one of the quad that when i do a sit-up you can feel a little bulge there very common, very common happens. It doesn't become a problem unless the hernia ruptures. Then you have to get it repaired. What I see here is somebody taking this film and creating a story around what he thinks he sees in the film. And a very vast story of conspiracy, a vast story of cover-up, and a, va- a story with no physical evidence, no hard evidence, no witnesses to say, Oh, yeah. What you have is these bunch of people, many anonymous, many have passed. I said, oh, well, I, or people saying that these past people have seen 
Well, I saw this unedited video, but the fact is, well, what did you see on the unedited video? You don't get any details. The unedited video does not exist. You know, we, we hear people talk about this unedited video all the time. And, well, why isn't it out there? Why hasn't that proof come forward? Only these mysterious anonymous people or these cryptic people or people wanting to push the theory for clicks, I might add, and clickbait. And that's the only real people that have, quote unquote, seen this video. So I call shenanigans. What is your personal opinion on the Patterson-Gimlin film? You know, that's been debated for years and years and years. Is it real? Is it not real? I know you've done a lot of looking into it over the years. Is it real? Well, I fall into that category where I am not sure. I used to very well think it was real. Uh, if you look at parts of the story, they were very... I kind of look at things in the way of a, a criminal psychologist. What was the pre-event behavior? What was the event behavior? What was the post-event behavior? You look at, you know, T-minus a week before the incident, all, all, everything seems kind of normal. You see, you have the incident itself. doesn't seem out of line, right? There's nothing strange going on. It only makes one pass in front of the camera. Uh, usually when you see a creature walk one way and turn the other way in, in a video, it's usually baloney. Usually if you see a video with a child in it and... The, the parent is saying, oh, look, there's a Sasquatch. Look at that. <laughs> That's baloney, too, because psychologically that parent would take the child and go the other way. But in, in this case, you have a, a fleeting glimpse. It doesn't last for very long. It appears to be accidentally shot or unexpectedly shot, I should say. So I, I take a look at the, the post-incident behavior, which becomes very important after, after the stuff. And it's kind of the stuff that I kind of debunked this whole Bob. Now, l let, me, let me make this clear. If you believe in the massacre theory, you believe the Patterson-Gimlin film is real. If you do not believe in the Patterson-Gimlin film, you believe the massacre theory is definitely not real. If you believe the Patterson film existed, then the massacre may or may not exist, depending on your standpoint. So you have these three axioms. My point being is that, is that the massacre theory has nothing to do whether or not the Patterson-Gimlin film is real. Bob Hieronymus, the guy who claimed he was the guy in the suit, has nothing to do with whether or not the, the, the film is real or not. If it's fake, then obviously, if it comes out that the film is fake, then obviously all these people uh, with the massacre theory are wrong. Then you have to look at the Hieronymus claim. Is, is he saying the truth? And this is how this all kind of started, I think, in this recent flap, was I had covered it on my podcast about Hieronymus and how his post-incident behavior, where you see Bob, Roger and Bob, their post-incident behavior did not seem out of the norm. Seemed very normal. We got the film off to a lab. The lab came back with it because Al Hodgson knew somebody at Kodak Labs. They did it quick. Boom, it comes back and they're watching it. Now, what happens after that, I find a little disingenuous and I'll explain this all. But as far as Bob Hieronymus, and his story changed because originally he just took it home, showed his mom and his nephew who were there, and then, you know, uh, Roger came by and got the suit. Uh, hence, there goes any evidence he, you know, he has to ever say he was part of that. But now he wants us to believe that, well, on my way home, I stopped off into this bar that I, I hung out at and showed the guys there, hey, see this? You know, look out for a couple of days. Now, Hieronymus' whole involvement was that was to make money. And like I say, if you're going to make money or rip somebody off, you're not going to go and say, hey, look what I did. But that's right. exactly what, what, what Hieronymus alleges he did. And strangely, that was an add-in. And again, that's another sign of being a hoaxer is when details get 
bigger as the story goes on. Usually your biggest details come out first, and then there's little fine details that come out later sometimes. But not a whole change in story. Oh, by the way, I, I did stop off at this bar and said, hey, look at these guys. Just keep an eye out for the next couple of days, which makes no sense to what Hermanus claims how the film timeline went. Hermanus is trying to claim the timeline was different. Neither here nor there. So I don't believe Hieronymus is disingenuous. But getting back to the story of, do I think the, the Patterson-Gimlin film is genuine? Well, psychology, it looks right. But one of, one of the guys I followed for many years, a great guy by the name of uh, John Green, Canadian journalist, been in it since the 50s. Did some landmark, uh, wrote one of the best books uh, as far as a timepiece on the topic uh, was concerned, you know, corralling reports. John Green once said that Roger Patterson did not have the know-how to build an anatomically correct suit, which, and you see that the Patterson film has breasts. Yep. Well, the issue I have with this is that the Patterson creature also has a sagittal crest or a very conical-shaped head, if you've noticed. Well, in primates... The sagittal crest and or the conical-shaped head is only a male feature. It's not a female feature. So now we see a creature with both male and female features. Hmm. And the funny thing is, is I myself did not know that until about six months ago. So it's very well possible that, you know, it could be faked. Would you assume at this point that the only person even alive who knows is Bob? Yes, provided he wasn't fooled by the whole thing, too. I mean, if you think about it, you know, this could have been a setup. Hey, just meet me on the ridge here and stuff. I have Bob here with me. And it makes sense that Bob could have been fooled because here's the reason why. After the film came out, Roger Patterson went on tour with it and gave lectures with Bob Gimlin. But the Bob Gimlin he used was a fake Bob Gimlin. And that's where the post-offense behavior becomes a little suspect to me. Why would you take your witness... And make a fake witness and put him out there. Oh, yeah, I, you know, when, you know, obviously, if Bob was an unwilling participant or a not knowing participant and he saw what he saw, you know, maybe he had some questions about it in his head for a while. Or maybe he didn't, but Roger wasn't taking any chances. There's a big, big, big thing that, that the media makes the mistake on. They say when Roger Patterson died, you know, on his deathbed made a deathbed confession. The deathbed confession he made was to Bob Gimlin, basically saying, I'm sorry I used somebody else to play you, and I'm sorry I cut you out of that whole money-making deal. That was a deathbed confession. And it gets mixed up with Ray, the Ray Wallace story. And I've seen it because they said, oh, Patterson died in 1994. No, that's when Ray Wallace, the guy who made the phony footprints, died. The media gets those confused as well. Well, I've definitely learned some stuff today. Yeah. <laughs> well, Steve, buddy, it's been fun having you on. It was just as good as I thought it was going to be, and I appreciate your time and effort. Tell everybody how they can catch up with you on uh, social media and, and uh, some of the stuff that you got going on. Oh, sure. You know, I, my, my website is SquatchDetective.com. Not Sasquatch Detective, Squatch Detective, because we take the sass out of Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, SquatchDTV.com is the site for our podcast. We now do a video cast where we can show films and videos. We've been doing that for uh, just short of a year now. Uh, so you can find us there on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash steve.coles or YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Steve Coles, all one word. Uh, more you can segue into those areas via the websites. But we do a podcast Sunday nights from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. Buddy, I appreciate it. And I hope to run into you at one of these uh, conventions here soon if we ever get back to having those things. Awesome. And, and the other thing, too, is I just came out with a book, a new book in February. 
The Sasquatch Playbook, Looking at the Bigfoot Mystery Through the Eyes of a Skeptic. My third book out there, you can also find that at SquatchDetective.com and learn how to get that through Amazon. Fantastic. I appreciate it, buddy, and best luck in the future. Ah, thank you, Jerry, and same you, brother. Hope to meet up with you real soon. Man, he is full of interesting tidbits. Oh, he? yes, he is. I was hoping he was going to be a little more animated <laughs> <laughs> when we brought up M.K. Davis than mm-hmm. what he was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess he chose to take a, a little bit of the high road. But yeah, he's uh, definitely a little more animated on Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just wanted to get his story out there, and that was it. I think he called him on one post, Mr. Bigfoot Come Lately or something. <laughs> 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 but anyways, that's what we got for you tonight. Next week... We've got these three young ladies who visited the Conjuring House. Yeah. Up in, uh, and had some things happen in the house. I'll give you a little hint. One of them broke their elbow. Yep. At the beginning of the tour and still stayed overnight. Yeah. With a broken elbow. Yeah. But then stuff happens when they get home as well. So yeah. So you guys are going to like this one. You're a brave girl. We'll talk to you later. Bye.